All right, we're, uh, we're in Revelations chapter 6. Uh, I don't know if it's a flu bug, or, but I have noticed that ever since I started on Revelations, the, uh, the average attendance has dropped down quite a bit. Now, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you're, so, if you're streaming and you're afraid of this. Uh, you need to learn Revelation. I know for me, now I've never done this before on a walk through the Bible and Revelations and really taught on it. Uh, I've had the Hilton Sutton thing that we've shown a couple of times and, you know, we've done different things. But um, it's really uh, touched me in it. And the one thing that I think has impacted me the most on it is not the events of things. Probably one, because I, I, I understand what I understand on it. Uh, is it's all about Jesus. So, so let me just kind of tie it into where we're at right now, because if it's all about Jesus, but it's not all about Jesus right now in our lives, how, how do we think it's going to merge with us? I mean, when you really start, if, if at least me, as I'm reading and I'm doing things on this, the thing that keeps sticking out to me is the all about Jesus. And uh, um, in, in a way that it's, um, it's affected me in this, because one of the things that I, I've told you that my goal, a lot of the stuff I'm ministering on now, and my goal is that people be rapture ready. Now, as we talk about the elements of who's in heaven, who's on earth and different things like that, that's important because you want to be in the first load. And I, I've said this many, many times. I know a lot of people don't believe me on it, um, but uh, um, not everybody's going in the first load. We have a lot of casual Christians. Just because you're born again, and I'm not arguing that you're not born again, that does not mean that you're rapture ready. He says he's coming back after a church without spot or wrinkle. We're going to see some of that again tonight. And um, uh, when, if we pay attention to, to the wording of different scriptures that we'll even be going over tonight, we can easily see this and um, you, you want to be ready. So my focus has been, um, in fact, verse out of Luke, that I, I, to my prayer journal, I pray all the time, Lord, let me be counted worthy at your appearing. I think that verse is very interesting. Let me be counted worthy. Well, if you're born again and that means you're worthy, then why would they even put that verse in the Bible? Because apparently, because it was written to believers. Let me be counted worthy at your praying. So we're, uh, we're in Revelation chapter 6, but I want to back up to a few scriptures that we, uh, we're going to start in verse uh, chapter 5, and I want to kind of go over some things that we, uh, um, we went on last week, but I really didn't expound upon it. <clears throat> now, so I'm going to start at verse 11. And I, I be, <clears throat> and I beheld, and I heard a voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast, those were those four angels that we identified earlier. And the elders, who are the elders? The, the 24 seats, 12 from the New Testament, 12 from the Old Testament. And the, the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Now, somebody who did math, I've heard two people uh, say, so we've got four angels mentioned in 24 people so that's uh 28 and then thousands of thousands and it says and angels so there are a ton of angels around the throne of god now one person doing the math said that this equation that comes out i think i asked you uh, amplified doesn't give a number does it like a uh, like a real number um one person came up with 100 million another person came up with 100 billion the person talking about the 100 billion, challenging the 100 million, said that, um, how can that be, going back to Psalms 91, that he gives his angels charge over us to keep us in all our ways. If it was 100 million, it wouldn't even be enough angels to protect people in the United States, much less get into countries like China or India, you know, that just have tons of population. There wouldn't be enough angels to even do the, the, the ministry that they do, the, uh, their, their purposes. And so uh, he was making the case for the $100 billion. Uh, I'm not a mathematician. I don't know what the actual number is. I tend to, I thought that explanation was a very good explanation. But stop and picture the throne of God. 
with, let's use the lower number, 100 million. I have a lot of angels around the throne of God. So what's my point? Uh, this is a big deal. And it's all about Jesus. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive. So, so the purpose of the slain was to receive. And the Lamb, Jesus, is the one that's worthy. What was he worthy to receive? Power. We know Matthew chapter 28. Uh, all power has been given to me that's in heaven and earth and uh, below the earth. Look at the, the second one. Riches. The third one. Lost my place. Where am I at? Six what? No, I'm in 512. Okay. That's why I'm looking in six. Slam to receive power, riches, wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Now, every one of those, I could take verses. Wisdom, James 1, 5. He's given, ask, and I'll give you wisdom. Strength. There's several verses on strength. Riches. We can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Uh, Sergey hit on that a little bit. Uh, honor. Uh, uh, and those that do the work, Lord, double honor, glory, uh, you know, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us, the manifested glory of God, blessing, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, in him we, you know, he blesses the, the, the God of our Lord Jesus, blessed be the God and Lord, the, the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. So we've already been blessed. So, in the context of heaven, because remember they're around the throne that we started reading in verse 4. And uh, if he's worthy to receive it, and he's made it so that we are in him, how can we not be overcomers in all things? And this goes back to chapter 2 and chapter 3, that at the end of every letter to him that overcometh. I tell you, I, I really believe this. You can argue with me on it if you want. We'll find out who's right. But I really believe this, that the, the attitude of overcoming and the ability of overcoming is far greater than what people are willing to even try to do. We, we've got to overcome inflation. We've got to overcome excess uh, taxation. We've got to overcome this flu that's going around. In fact, on Sunday, it might change because there, there's one area I'm still praying about that I haven't got... I want to deal with, but I don't know how to deal with it, but I'm probably going to deal with this uh, flu that's going around and, and how to not be sick. I haven't been sick. Has it tried to get on me? Sure. Uh, my right nostril keeps running. So I'm like, it, like half of it's trying to get on me. And, uh, and every once in a while I get this, <clears throat> I mean, I, I haven't been hacked and cough or anything, but every time I, every once, I just keep standing against it. I've never felt bad. Uh, it's annoying to have a running nose, but I've never felt bad or anything like that. But, but you, and I've been around people. Uh, I, there, there was one instance, I will tell you in this episode, that somebody was talking very close to me. And uh, they said, uh, man, I got this sickness and it's really knocked me down. And this thought came up in my mind. I'm serious. And I caught it. It's like, why do I need to back up? Sickness has no power over me. So I stood there engaged in the conversation at the same distance. But see, what would have happened if I would have stepped back? I've taken the thought. I've considered the outcome. We, see, overcoming is something we have to do. We have to engage in. And, uh, and so this element of overcoming, I really believe, uh, is a lot more powerful than... Um, than what we think it is. Every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them heard, I say, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. It's all about him. Now, translate this. We're talking about the end times, what's going to happen. People in heaven right now, four, five, and uh, four and five, everything we've been talking about is in heaven. Uh, in chapter four, immediately it was before the throne of God and all these people with white robes on and uh, uh, as a, you know, a number that could not be numbered um, or something about, the, about how large. And the four beasts, those four angels said in verse 14, amen. And the four and the 20 elders fell down and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever. It's all about him. Now, I think we need to look at our lives. How much of it is really about him? 
Because we're, we're, we're going to, especially the rapturing of the church, they're going to be put in the position where it's all about him. So, so why would, would Jesus come after those that it's not all about him? We put him second, third, fifth place. And now we want to be in this glorious setting where it's all about him. And he really didn't make it up too much on our list. Now, how, how much, how do we, how do we measure all about him? I, I, I don't know how to answer that because you have to live this life. There's things that you have to do. God's given us this world to enjoy. I mean, so, uh, uh, you know, there's that. Uh, but when we look at the Apostle Paul, how much was all about him? Oh, well, I meant about Jesus. You know, the all about him uh, is where the question I was thinking in my mind. He was all in. Peter. I think he was all in. Judas. He wasn't all in. And uh, Demas. He wasn't all in. Remember he left Paul because uh, the things of the world attracted him? Uh, I think it comes down to, I don't think it's necessarily the activities of the day as much as it is the heart of our pursuit. Because I think the heart of our pursuit would dictate the activities of the day. But it's something we should consider. Chapter 6, we're going to get into the seals now. And uh, Oh, actually, before we get there, I want to go back to chapter 4, verse 6. And I want to go back over the verse that I read. <coughs> and before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto a crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before, the, before and behind. So this is talking about those who are before the throne of God. I talked about it last week that... Um, that in biblical interpretation, when you see a sea, the word sea, S-E-A, that is not directly linked to a body of water like the Sea of Galilee. It's talking about a, a multitude, a mass of people. And uh, so in this, this um, in the, the rapture of the church, when John was immediately before the throne, we walked through how that is relative to the, the catching away. There was, a, there was a sea of people. And he said they were like um, unto crystal. So he was comparing them to crystal. And I, I, I stumbled around on the crystal. I had to look it up to find out because I knew there was a better saying than what I said. But crystal is the only substance where it is impossible to hide a flaw in it. Now, you, you tie that back into, I'm coming back after a church that is without spot or wrinkle. We tie that back into what God or what Jesus is looking for as his church. We tie these into the white robes that they were wearing. Now, in chapter 7, we're going to stop right before we get to this today. But in chapter 7, we, we find another group of people that had robes, but they washed them. So they had spots, wrinkles, blemishes in it or what, what not. So not everybody, just because you're born again, doesn't make you uh, the remnant church. So let's see what happens. Now we're going to move into an arena where something is happening on heaven and something is happening on earth at chapter uh, 6. So let's go with verse 1 on chapter 6. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise. Um, uh, oh, let me see if I want to read this other verse. Hang on. Okay, and I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, and one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. So one of those four angels told John, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. I talked about this at the end of last week. And he that sat on the many people because of the white horse thinks it's Jesus. But he sat on, he had a bow. Jesus never represented with a bow, and he has no uh, arrow. So a bow without an arrow is powerless. And uh, so he's, he's going, he doesn't have full power. This is referring to the Antichrist. Uh, he had a bow. A crown was given to him. Jesus is already being crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. Jesus is already conquered. So um, this places the Antichrist on earth at the beginning of the tribulation. His ability to operate is from two things. One is, remember we read in 2 Thessalonians about 
uh, that when the church, he that restraineth is removed. That was the church that's removed. And then a seal was released that gave him the ability to function. So there, there was, there was a, a force on earth and there was a, lack of a better word, a binding in heaven that wouldn't allow him to come forward yet. And once that was removed, the church, and that seal was unleashed, it gave him power to do what he was going, you know, what he's uh, been called. Now, uh, this takes us back to Daniel. Let's just go back to Daniel 9.24. Uh, I read this when I was talking about the 70 weeks, but let's just kind of rehearse it again. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. So his, his ability to operate comes from that, but... Daniel 9:24 through 27 uh, talks about that he enters into an, a seven-year um, agreement with Israel. I can't get the picture. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and anoint the most holy. Know and therefore understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks, threescore and two weeks, the streets shall be built again in the wall, even in troublous times. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, but the people of the prince that shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with flood, and unto the end of the war desolation is determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with, with many, one week, that's seven years. And in the midst of the week, three and a half years into the tribulation, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. Um, and for the overspreading of the abomination, he shall make it desolate, even unto the consumption and the determination shall be poured um, upon the desolate. Now, so that one week, we're going to see in just a few minutes that the, the Antichrist is able to, he makes a, a seven-year a uh, an agreement with Israel. Now go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's go back over to there. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for there, that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of per, uh, perdition. So there's a day coming that the, that man shall be revealed. Then in verse, says, verse 6, it says, And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. So that's going back into the church that stands in his way. And then in um, verse 7, it says, For the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he is taken out of the way, the church. And then shall the wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of uh, of his mouth and shall destroy the brightness of his coming. So the church has to be removed. These things have to take place. At the beginning of the seven years, the seal is opened, which gives him power. Now we move to the second seal in verse three. And uh, he says, and when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast come say, come and see. So John looked, goes over and looks and sees. And there went out another horse that was red and the power was given to him that sat upon there thereon to take peace away from the earth and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Now, in this, th th this is where it gets real interesting. And, you know, I I'm going to tell you what David sees in this. And so um, I've talked about it before that back in, um, I think it's um, back in Ezekiel, it talks about a day where Israel is at peace with its neighbors, its Arab cousins, um, you know, in there. And that uh, um, Israel will have no uh, walls around it. It'll, it'll be working with all the ones that we have, um, uh, you know, that they have problems with now. Now, I'm not going to get political, but I'm going to talk about politics for just a minute. When Donald Trump was running the first time, and I don't know if you remember, it was one of the like debates or something like that 
but they asked a question about Israel. And then they, they jumped on him and tried to t say that he was anti-Semitic and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, I've got a son-in-law or something like that that's, that's Jewish, and I've got a great relationship with uh, you know, Netanyahu or whoever it was and everything like that. And I was listening, I thought, I thought of this verse, and I thought, he's actually got the personality to create this and broker this peace deal. And when he got in, in his office, um, he moved our, the, uh, what do they call it, the embassy, uh, back to Jerusalem. He did a lot of things that was very pro-Israel, and we were very, um, very much friends with Israel. And when you study out end-time prophecy and things that go on, there, there comes a verse that talks about a great eagle that sweeps in and protects eagles, or I mean protects Israel. Uh, we're the one that's known for the, the eagle. It's our, our United States mascot, and we're one of the only ones. There's others that could do it, but historically, we've been one of the best friends to Israel that has the military power to do it. And uh, uh, so when I saw that, I thought, oh my goodness, end-time prophecy. He could actually bring this thing together. Well, what happened is what happened. Now he's running again. We're running up into end-time prophecy. It's going to be a kind of an interesting uh, dilemma. Now, everything... Um, legally, you know, political on the Democrat, they're doing everything they can to, you know, get him off the ballots. He can't vote for him da, 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 to see what happens. But he's egotistical enough that he would pull this off just to prove a point. And uh, I, I don't know of anybody else who would have the personality that he has that could accomplish something like this that has never been accomplished before. And uh, so anyway, that, that kind of, and that's really what threw me in support of him back in, what was it, 2016 or whatever it was. And, uh, so if we come back here, there went out another horse, power was given to him, to take peace from the earth. So what peace is being taken from the earth? Because if you look up right now, we don't have a lot of peace. In fact, in Matthew 24, Jesus talking about there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and all these different things in the last days. So where's this peace? Well, there has to be the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophet that declared that, that Israel would be at peace at its, with its neighbors. So if you stop and you think about it, for this Antichrist to make an a seven-year agreement with Israel, it wouldn't happen in today's climate because the, the, the Antichrist is not of Jewish descent. It's going to be more of Arabic descent, probably. Uh, some people say Turkish descent. Um, and, uh, you know, there's different speculations, but... I haven't really heard anybody speculate there's going to be a Jew. And uh, so what would make Israel take down its walls? Well, there had to be peace in the midst of them for them to work on that level. Mm -hmm. And then this verse, and I'm not saying 100% that this, that I, I told you this is David's reconciling of this, um, this portion right here. But we do know from biblical account that peace is going to be removed. So whatever peace it's referring to is going to be removed during this time. Again, these seven seals are being released in order, but that doesn't make them happening all at the beginning of the, uh, the tribulation. We know that the first seal was at the beginning uh, because it gave power. Probably this one is more up into the... Um, uh, the three and a half year area because peace is taken away. The, the Antichrist does things uh, at mid-tribulation -tribu elements. And so the second seal looks like it's probably more closer to uh, the mid-tribulation. Verse five uh, is the third seal. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard, um, I heard the third beast or the third angel say, come and see and behold, a, uh, and lo, a black horse and he that, um, he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. So he's weighing or measuring out things. And I heard a voice in the midst of the fort be say, a measure of wheat for a penny, another version says a denarius, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see that thou hurt, not the oil and the wine. So, so not everything was being affected and... People that have studied this, I, I didn't stay out. I'm just reading other people's opinions on this measurement. Is it was equal to a day's wages. So if it if it took a day's wages to buy some barley, 
that's very inflationary. It, it's either, uh, it's probably due to uh, food shortages, famine uh, in that area. And, uh, but because it says do it, you know, the barley, the, uh, what was the other thing? Wheat, the wheat and the barley was this, but see that you do not hurt the oil and wine. So it's not everywhere or it's not happening to everything. Now, one of the things you can see about a lot of people get all scared about the, um, the Antichrist, but he's really a big failure. His goal, his purpose, and I think it's in chapter 13, we'll get to that, is to, to take over the whole world. And you probably heard things about a one world government, a one world currency. But I've never been on the, uh, the side of that. I've heard people and people I know and, and trust, they, uh, they think that. But uh, let's go into verse 7, the fourth cell. And when he had opened the fourth cell, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth. That's not the whole earth. He, he's, only, he's only able to operate within 25% of the, the world. To kill with the sword and with hunger and with death, and with the beasts on the earth. Now, this is going to be a horrible time of what's going on. Um, one world currency. I don't even see that happening. Now, I know that there's Fed one now that they're trying to digitalize the U.S. dollar. Will they be able to go to a digital currency? Maybe. Uh, I think they're going to get a lot of pushback on it, but there's a lot of pushing on the government side. They want to know. They will, they will try to sell it to stop laundering of money and different things like that. But really, it's about taxation. They want to know everywhere you spend money, this social credit score that they keep talking about that they're wanting to do, that if you buy this and do that. And, you know, they've talked about it with China, who has that system. And, uh, you know, if you walk into a liquor store every day at 5 o'clock, your social credit score goes down because they know you're drinking too much. And, you know, they're trying to manipulate and uh, control uh, people in, the, in their lives. And so there's a lot of that going on. And if they can, if they can digitalize the money, taxes are easier. Uh, you and I come together and we make a deal and I give you cash and, and you give me your whatever it is that I'm buying. Uh, you're probably not going to charge me sales tax. You know, the government lost on, out on their, what, 8.5%. Or, you know, um, uh, I do some financial work for you and you do some mechanic work for me and we just kind of swap you know, our knowledge set, no money changes hands. You know, the old barter system, you, you can't do that anymore. Um, uh, people with garage sales or something like that, you can't do that. See, if they, if they can get control of the money, that might happen. I don't know. Uh, a one world government I don't, or a one world currency, I don't think so. Uh, will the United States dollar remain the, the dominant currency in the world? There's a, there's a high likelihood that it will lose its status. Uh, China is hoarding gold and they're trying to um, back their money by gold, giving it a, a value where ours is a fiat currency. Uh, there's, there's a lot of talk. Uh, in fact, a handful of countries already, they made um, like an oil dollar. I can't, there's a name for it because all oil, a lot of the, the dominance of the US dollar is based around oil. And they created this other one where it's, there's like three or four countries that they are now not using the dollar in the trading of oil. And so, uh, so there's actually some things that are re, uh, uh, eroding our stance on it. And then with the federal government just continually um, printing money, they're devaluing the dollar. Since the Federal Reserve, I think I mentioned that the other day in like 1917, when uh, the dollar's lost 97% of its value. And so... Uh, so our, our money is really worthless. It's just that we accept it from each other that, that makes it, it work for us. And so, um, all right. So the third, what, what still am I on? Number eight. I'm sorry. Verse eight. Okay. And I looked and behold the pill. Oh, I read that. Uh, fourth part uh, to kill. This is where he said only a fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword with uh, hunger. So we see famine again with death and with the beasts of the earth. And so um, that's eight. Um, now, oh, this is eight. I'm in the wrong one. Okay, verse nine. And when he and and so so on these first four seals, the seal was opened in heaven. It manifested in something on earth. 
seal, the fifth seal, which is, starts in verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar. Now, the altar is before the throne of God. The souls of them that were slain <coughs> for the word of God and for the testimony which they had. Now, many say that these are martyrs that are in the tribulation period. I tend to kind of go along with that uh, based on they cried with a loud voice, um, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, do thou judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said of them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that they that should be killed as they were um, should be fulfilled. Now, uh, this happens around the mid-tribulation point also. Or, or no, no, let me say it this way. These martyrs happen the last half or starting with the, about the midpoint, the tribulation. And uh, like I said, the, the, one, the one case is it's talking about all martyrs, you know, from the beginning of time. Another is what's going on in the tribulation. Um, I don't know that it's important that we understand which one it is. I kind of tend to lean more toward the ones that are martyred during uh, the tribulation period. Uh, but notice that they were given robes. It appears, see, robes refers to your robe of salvation, your robe when you get born again, a robe of righteousness is given to you. It's, this is where I think I kind of tend and can kind of see where it's the people within it. They didn't take the mark and they were killed. It's, it's not so necessary that they were born again because they would have had a robe, right? I mean, based on other scriptures that I read, if they got born again, then they wouldn't have been, they would have had a robe. They wouldn't have been needed to be given a robe. So, but because they, they stood for, kind of like the guy on the cross, you know, he lived nothing of a Christian life. Just, you know, hey, I recognize your Lord. And uh, this day you'll be with me in paradise. They were given robes. So kind of an interesting uh, wording on that in there. And then uh, verse 12 the sixth seal is open, and, and behold, uh, and, be, and I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, lo, there was a great earthquake. Now here it refers to this as a great earthquake. Um, apparently, according to the Richter cell, a plus eight is considered a great earthquake. So, you know, Japan just had a, what was it, 7.9, 5, something like that. And uh, it really rocked them. But this is saying a, a great earthquake, but, but watch this. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Now, this is a really big earthquake. Uh, the stars of the heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree, casting her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. So that would be kind of like, you know fallen off, that, um, that the stars of heaven are hitting the earth like that. Now, this is at the end of the, and I'm going to show you in just a minute why. This is at the end of the seven-year period, uh, right at the, the time of Armageddon, uh, when she is shaken with a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. So not only was the earth rocked with this great earthquake, it moved islands and it moved mountains, but it also moved the, um, the stellar, um, the constellation, causing um, uh, stars to fall. Now, hold your place there and go to Matthew 24. So how do we know that this is at the end of the, uh, the, the seven-year uh, period? In Matthew 24... Uh, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation. Okay, so when is this that we're reading about? After, immediately after the tribulation. Of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. So Jesus talks about at the end of the tribulation, and here we see the seal opened, 
that creates all these things. It goes on to say, the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Now, there's a break now in chapter 7 because the seventh seal is not opened until chapter 8. So, um, in chapter uh, 6 that we're going through, the seals were being released on, opened on heaven and a corresponding effect on uh, the earth except for the uh, fifth one which still stayed in heaven where we saw the martyrs under the altar and they're crying out and them, them staying until then. Now, in chapter 7, we get into, well, let me, let me just deal with the first few words at first. 7-1. After these things... Okay, now in chapter 7, we're not going to get to it tonight, but in chapter 7, it deals with what I call the mid-tribulation saints. This is, you know, people will say, well, it's, it's the same people. You know, they're in heaven. It's the people that know. He said, after these things, and in verse 9 is when it starts talking about the mid-tribulation saints. So we had a group of people before the throne of God in Revelations chapter 4. We had um, the seals opened. Uh, in heaven, correspondingly with stuff going on in earth. And after these things, after that group of people before the throne of God, after these seals were open, now we're going to move into and after these things. One of the things, which we're not going to deal with tonight, is going to be another set of people before the throne of God. Now remember in chapter, I think it's chapter 4, that these people around the throne of God, I made the point of it, that they sing a new song. Remember me talking about that? Okay, just keep remembering that. We'll get to it in just a minute. 7-1, after these things, I saw four angels. Um, now, these are not the four beast angels that were talked about. These are four separate angels. Four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, uh, oh, let me go back for just a minute on uh, the sixth seal because I wanted to make a point and I didn't do it. Where does it say it was like a scroll? 14. And the heaven de uh, departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. Do you remember me saying that I can't, it's been within the last couple of weeks like, and I used the example when Jesus hit himself, he stepped over. And I was saying, there, there's a thin line between the spirit and the natural. It appears from that verse. It's going to be open and we're going to be able to see, we'll be able to see into this other realm. And, uh, um, and I don't know, I think that's very interesting because the, the hard part that we have in being overcoming Christians is we can't get past this natural and how it's knocking on our door. You don't understand the fight I'm in. Step over into this other realm. And, and we, we've got to come to the knowledge of how to do that, to, uh, how to operate in the power of the Spirit. So he said, after these things, I saw uh, the four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, and the wind should not blow uh, on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on anything. When you look at, you know, we say things, or at least I do, I say things before that the, the, the spiritual realm is the real realm. It's more real than the realm we live in. So, so stop and think about it for a moment. Um, one, where is the four corners of the earth when it's a globe? Okay, but, but in the spirit realm, this thing must be laid out in a way that we really don't comprehend. And how does it hold the wind, the angel? How does it hold the wind? I mean, the, the, just the realm of the Spirit is so much above, and we spend so much time trying to make this natural realm work. Um, and I saw another angel. I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice, 
to the four angels, that would be the four angels holding the wind, standing on the four corners of the earth, uh, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Now, we're after the rapture of the church. So there's somebody here on earth that are, are deemed the servants of God. These are not people trying to escape the tribulation. They're servants of God. They're on, on a mission. They're, they're going to do something. And this angel is coming to seal them. Verse 4, And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And there, and there were sealed 144,000 144, of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Now remember, this was the time that I said when I was dealing with the, the 70 weeks of Daniel, God turns his attention back to the Jewish nation uh, during the seven-year tribulation. And so uh, of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of, how you pronounce it, were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Manasseh were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. So these were sealed with the seal before the four angels could unleash the damage because that seal is going to protect these 144,000. Now, who are these 144,000? They obviously were not Christians, believers, rapture ready before the, the, um, the rapture of the church because they're still here. So go over to Revelations chapter 14. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. This is the same hundred and forty-four thousand that we just read about in Revelation chapter 7. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. I try to visualize that, and it's kind of like a weird, probably a cartoon I thought saw sometime when I was a kid or something like that. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne. Now, when we get to back to Revelation chapter seven of the the mid tribulation saints, you see nothing about them uh, singing the song. And before the four beasts, the elders, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. Now we get back into the redemption. Redemption being three areas, eternal death, poverty, sickness, and disease. If we don't overcome, how can we declare we're redeemed if we can't overcome these things? Just a thought. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they were virgins. These are they which follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth. Now, there's a teaching that, uh, going back to 2 Thessalonians, where he that letteth continues to let, you know, until he's taken away. And some people say that that's the Holy Spirit. But how could they follow uh, the lamb without the Holy Spirit? Jesus doesn't come back and walk on the face of the earth. And we're led by the Holy Spirit now. So, and these, these 144,000 are preaching the gospel of God. And they can't be stopped. Does that make sense? These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever they go. They were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So there's ministry going on during these seven years, and people are getting born again. God hasn't given up on people. Now, a lot of people have given up on God and won't cry out to him. But uh, there's a, a statement in here that I just read. 
these are they were saw the land with their stairs they go they were redeemed from among men so that means that they're a lot they're, they're not like angel transplants down here they're, they're people okay which means that in the midst now they, they weren't rapture ready uh, they also follow the lamb which means that um, they're Jews that received Jesus as the Messiah, which Judaism has not done that. You have some Messianic Jews, but they kind of merge the two together and say, but they're fully, they, they see what Jesus has done. So they became born again on fire for God, called and chosen and going out doing everything amongst men. So when we get down to the end of the two prophets, a lot of people want to say that these two prophets are people of old. Uh, Enoch and Elijah, because they never saw death, or you know, there's there's other people that that people say that they are. But why can't they be two prophets that came out among men? Why can't they be two prophets that were just alive at that time? That God called them just like this hundred and forty-four thousand, and uh, we don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us who they are. But a lot of times we go into speculation. It's like when in Revelations, when we read earlier uh, about the Jezebel, we automatically tie her to the Jezebel of the Old Testament, which they performed differently. They were in different positions and stuff like that. Um, and so uh, it's kind of like saying the Apostle Paul is the reincarnation of, or the Apostle John is the reincarnation of John the Baptist because they have the same name, John. No, they were two people with two different ministries and that uh, going forth. So I'm, uh, I could probably, let's go back to chapter 7. Let's go ahead and hit the white robe people because there's only a handful of verses and we can be done. We've got a few more minutes. After this, so after the sealing of the 144,000, lo, a great multitude which no man could number. How many are there? No man can number. I mean, you're, you're talking about a lot of people of all nations, kindreds, people, and tongues from every language, from every type of people, from every you know, nation upon the earth, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. The chapter 4 saints did not have palms in their hands. And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood around about the throne and about the elders, and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? Where came they? So, so this elder that is with John, is asking him a question. You see all these people, you can't number them. Where'd they come from? John says, you know, tell me. I, I don't know. So, so they're, they're a different, he didn't ask him about the, the Revelation 4 saints. Where'd they all come from? You know, that discussion was not in there. And I said to him, sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, these are they which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So they had robes. Jesus is coming back after a church without spot or wrinkle. They had robes, just had spots and wrinkles and blemishes in it. You know, they're eating a taco that day and got some taco sauce on there and, and, and didn't get it cleaned out and they missed, you know, missed the rapture. Therefore are they, watch this, therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Now, wait a minute. How much do you know about heaven? How big is heaven? What type of things are going on in heaven? What type of things? We've got the millennial reign of Christ. We'll get into that later, where the, the Ephesian force come back uh, with Jesus in Armageddon, then go into the millennial reign of Christ, where, where they reign and they rule. Where are these people at? They're before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. 
Now, look at, the, look at the classification of these people. It's not said about this in the, Ephesian, or in the uh, Revelation 4. They shall hunger no more. So these people were, you know, probably trying to make it to eat. Neither thirst anymore. Neither shall the sun light on them. Probably laboring and working, you know, all day instead of pushing in to, to try to fulfill God's purpose. Nor any heat. For the Lamb which, in the, which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, shall lead them unto living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. So these people are people that were living in tears. We don't read that about the uh, Revelation 4 saints. These are two classes of people based on how they lived on earth and where they were at when Jesus appeared. I, I, I think that if I would get anything in me is I would understand that just being born again is not being rapture ready. And if you look at, now that, mid, that tribulation, that, that happens at mid-tribulation, is about three and a half years into the seven-year period. These people, Christians, they had, they had robes. It's like the rapture just took place and I wasn't in it. Oh my goodness, what do I do? Now, of all these people, how many of those people will say, well, I'm going to get it right now? They couldn't get themselves to church when there was no pressure against them. And now whenever everything's going, you know, wackadoodle, how many of that great multitude will be them? I hear a lot of preachers talk about, uh, you can't walk with God now. You think you're going to walk with God after the rapture? And when these things are hitting, you're fooling yourself. But there is a lot of people around there, so we can't deny that. But there are these 144,000. There's a verse... There's a prophecy back in the Old Testament that says with every one convert, uh, Jewish convert, they have 10 Gentiles. So they're ministering to the whole world. So are these just people born again out of the tribulation? It's like, oh my goodness, those Christians, what they were talking about. uh, What do I do? What do I do? And there's preachers out there preaching. Um, I don't know the answer to that. I know there's people that say these are basically people out of, you know, that would be like that to get born again out of the tribulation. Um, I'm just wondering how, you know, we're confident in ourselves. Oh, the mark of the beast comes, I'll I'll die before I take that. And we can't overcome little things on earth. We we really, you know, you're standing there, the guy in front of you. You really think you're going to be next up? You know, there's 18 heads laying there. You're number 19. Their eyes are still open looking at you. Hurt. <laughs> I, I I think we over there, there's a, a saying about uh, we overestimate what we can do in 10, 15, 20 years. We underestimate what we can do tomorrow. You know, it's in goal setting and, and you know the life you want. And we think, well, I got 20 years, I'll get it all done, and I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do that, but you do nothing today. And we underestimate what we can do today to actually get to the goal. I think in Christianity, that's true, too. Uh, we, we, we think we're all that. There's going to be a lot of people that says, like, you can't number them. Won't be, you know, they'll come out of the tribulation. They thought they were ready. That's where the Bible talks about deception. Deception's, uh, um, it's a great thing. Let's stand. Anybody got a question? Nobody? Okay. Uh, Liz does. Anybody got a microphone? He's coming with the microphone. That was nice of you. You know where it says that they served. Is that turned on? Hello. Okay, there we go. Just get it closer. Where it says that they served him day and night in the temple. I don't know if you read it already, like in the prior verses, but um, it says that there wasn't going to be any more night or darkness. Because yeah, that's that's one thing that I wonder about. Because there's like no nighttime; it's daytime. He's the light thereof, and that verse uh, where it says day and night, um, I don't know the explanation of it. Uh, I haven't found any, uh, anything on it that really makes sense to me. Um, and uh, so I just read over it. Thank you for bringing that out. Uh, but uh, uh, I'm not really sure the answer on that because there is no night in heaven. Um, but does that mean that maybe they're in a different place? Uh, yeah, it could be around the clock. You know, John's witnessing. John's seeing things that... He has, you know, he's got to put his words and understanding on. 
And so maybe he did put it that way to just illustrate the point. They're there all the time uh, doing things. Uh, we will see when we get into the uh, millennial reign that those in the church will be reigning out and about. Um, there's, there's different rewards. There's different things it takes to get into it. Anybody else got a question? Anything not make sense? Well, for people online. Um, I've heard about the uh, 144. I read it like it's Jews, but there is other religions that say that it's not really Jews. It can mean anybody around the world. Well, we read out chapter 14 that it identified them as such. Um, so they'd have to contradict the Bible there. And... Um, have so. you heard that of other beliefs? Well, I, yeah, I know like the Jehovah Witness thought they were the 144,000, but they went over that number. Um, and uh, so there's a lot of people with a lot of studies, you know, things on Bible, but sticking, or it, they extrapolate things out, but sticking with the Bible, the Bible can interpret itself. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't buy into what they were saying. Anybody else? Liz? Uh, we good? Did it make sense? Do you see how it could get confusing, but if you just kind of keep it in the where it's at, it, it makes more sense and it kind of flows uh, with it. For those that are, um, I, I tell you, the um, there's a lot of casual Christians today. There's a lot of Christians that just deal in the soulish realm. Learn the Bible, read the Bible. You got to do that. I mean, that's a part of it, but they never get the spiritual component out of it. How to live in it, how to make it work. And I, I don't say that, you know, the redemption I keep picking up uh, and saying things on it. How can we really think that we're ready if we're not redeemed from? It's easy to say we're redeemed from eternal death. We believe we're going to go to heaven. You can't do anything about that. I mean, that's a, a God thing. Like you are redeemed from eternal death. He's going to take you to heaven I and mean, you're going to go. Uh, you have things to do. But in um, overcoming the other things, we're, we're redeemed from uh, poverty. We're redeemed from, um, uh, uh, what was the other one? Sickness. If we can't overcome those things, how can we say we're redeemed? Now, a lot of it, I believe, and I don't say this to try to beat people up. I say it to try to make people aware, is we've become too comfortable. We've been, we've been culturally taught that, um, you know, if the flu's going around, well, I'm going to get the flu. Everybody gets the flu. Well, you've got to change your, if you've been redeemed from it, You've got to expect it not to get on you. Now, I, I told that thing to me where I was talking to somebody real close, and the first thought was step back, um, so that would really do anything. But then I caught myself, and it's like, no, that's a, that's a, that's a, a non-overcoming element that is based in fear that it could get on me. No, I've, I've got to see myself as that because of redemption, sickness can't land on me. I mean, when I first started this, I would actually visualize, okay, think I'm strange, but I would actually visualize angels around me, and as a, like a, a, a sickness virus coming on, they, they'd knock it away. That, that it couldn't get, I, I was training myself that I, it can't land on me. It can't do anything. Part of that also came from John G. Lake when the bubonic plague, they put a live virus in his hand, then they put it under a microscope, and it was dead. When, when the live virus of the bubonic plague hit his hand, what was in him was greater than what was on his hand. You have to build a mentality to do this. On the financial uh, poverty, uh, you got two components there. One, one element is just people are uh, emotionally bankrupt and they just got to buy stuff to feel better about themselves. I, I mean, you need to get born again on that one. Um, the other one is, is we've not been taught how to use money. Just think back to your high school, college day. How much did they teach you about money? <laughs> Nothing. And yeah, you may have got a class here, a class here, or something where they dealt with a little bit, but probably the person that was instructing you was broke, living paycheck to paycheck. <laughs> I mean, what are they going to teach you? And uh, I tell you, Johnny George came into my office um, yesterday and uh, ended up sitting there talking with an air. If you want to talk about money with somebody who's going to mess your thinking up, talk with him. And uh, he, was, he was telling about his electric bill at his house and different things, uh, 
and the Altai Dam, his electric bill is $1,200 a month. Okay, see your reaction? He didn't react that way when he said it. He didn't care. There's a mentality that comes with it. If, if you balk, now nobody wants a $1,200 bill, but if you balk at that, that that's too much money, you'll never have that much money. How, how can you step over into it if you can't even imagine yourself at, you know, a, a little bit more, a double more, or whatever more? And yet he was worthy of all riches, and we say that we're in him, but our mentality blocks us and we don't understand redemption is what got us in there. And it is by the name of Jesus. We have become so casual with the name of Jesus. It's just the end of our prayer. Do you realize that when you're praying about something and, and uh, let's say you're praying over your own self because you're sick and you say in the name of Jesus, I say this. Did you think about the cross? on his way that he bore stripes, that when I'm proclaiming this, I'm reaching back in here and I'm grabbing what he did here and I'm putting it in, in here because it's the name of my covenant. And in that covenant name, I can walk in the freedom of it. The, the Bible talks about communion that many are sick and die prematurely because they do not consider his body. Now, it's not so much that, that um, or it is so, it, it's in that same realm of they don't realize the whole communion is about what he did for us. And that should be, I'm, I'm receiving this communion, remembering what you did and the power that I can walk in. Not just remembering he died on the cross for me. Praise God, uh, my sins are forgiven and, and uh, you know, blood, bread, bread, blood. Hallelujah, in the name of Jesus. Let's go to Chili's. Do, do you see the point I'm trying to make? We, we've got to understand this power that it will transform. The problem that we have is we're culturalized, all of us. If, uh, if we start talking about increasing you in money, well, how can God increase you? You would go to your job. Everybody would go to their job. Why? That's where their paycheck comes from. God's not their source. The paycheck's their source. God's got a million and one ways to prosper you, and all he needs is one. And we've limited it down to well, if I need more money, I got to get a second job. And then people, well, I live by faith, and so I overspend. I, I believe God's going to give me enough money to do it. It's like, no, you, you're never going to walk in the things of God because who's going to give to somebody who's not faithful over small stuff? I'll tell you what, I'm preaching at you right now. You need to stop spending on stupid stuff. You don't need everything that you see. And it's not a sell because it's 50% off. Get control of your money. I tell you what, this year, uh, as I, I, I dealt with on Sunday, arise and shine, light has come, glory of the Lord has risen upon you, darkness. I believe it's going to be more distinctive this year. You, you better get, and I, I, how long have I been saying this, like being serious about it? Like, you better get your money in order. You better have your money in order for this year. There's some things that's getting ready to happen. And it is going to knock hard on middle class people, uh, lower class people, you know, in the lower economic realm. Uh, they're really going to be hurt. Uh, middle class is going to really there. There's going to be a lot of middle class people that end up in the lower class. Because they don't know how to battle spiritually what's going on and overcome it into what they do have. They're just stupid with it because it makes them feel a certain way because they bought something and, you know, they needed a new this because the old one was the, you know, the wrong size or something like that. They're just buying and spending and spending and buying. And I got to do this and I got to do that. Um, yeah, I'm getting in your business right now. Sorry. Um, but I, I, I'm telling when it comes, I'm going to say, I told you, I told you for several years. Get, I, I told you about in my money thing. I just bought two other rentals. Why? Cash flow. Uh, Rentals can, can have rates increase. It gives me the ability to increase the, the cash flow on it. You've you got to be in a business. I mean, a business is a great way to do it because you control the pricing of the business. Uh, you don't control your, uh, if you're paid by somebody. Nothing wrong with having a job getting paid by somebody, but don't limit yourself there. You've got you've to see God as your source and that he gives you enough to overcome. But how can you do that if you're not faithful with what he gives you right now? 
And we've got to bring it all together and walk in this. God wants to reveal himself through us. We don't, we don't have to go down with, the, with the, uh, the ship, you know, as the economy ship, you know, goes through what it's doing. But, but we play a part in it. So anyway, no more, uh, um, no more getting in people's business. I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word, God. But let the eyes of our understanding be open. God, we've got to walk this thing out. We've got to walk in straight. This, this um, walk with you is not an intellectual walk. It's a spiritual walk. Sure, our intellect plays a part of it. We've got to know your word. We've got to study your word. But it has to drop down into the reality of how we operate. And we need to start taking serious on areas that we don't overcome. Why? What do I fix? What do I realign? Because we're getting realigned for this time. God, we've got to get the flow of the Spirit operating through us. Lord, that in everything we walk in your preeminence. And Lord, we thank you, God, for, for granting us the right to be a part of your house, part of your body. And Lord, we just thank you. As we go home tonight, Lord, give your angels charge over us. Keep us in all of our ways. No accidents, no harm, no crime uh, comes near us. But we walk in your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Call your blood.